0: Welcome to the weekly podcast, recorded live at Glory City Church, Brisbane. We hope you are blessed by this week's sermon. Amen. Amen. Wonderful, wonderful Jesus. Well, I celebrate that we live in a country that has a public holiday for Good Friday. I've, been, I've spent quite a few Easter's actually in Atlanta, Georgia, and it is not a public holiday. And we just take it for granted. And Some people get upset and they go, oh, it's a pagan holiday, blah, blah, blah. You know, the idea that we have a national holiday to remember the death of Jesus Christ is something, if you've got an issue with whether it's the right day or whether we should be celebrating it or not, just get over it and use it as an opportunity to tell people about Jesus. I think that's amazing that we have the opportunity to have a public holiday on Easter, Good Friday, on Sunday, on um, Christmas Day. Whatever you might think about the festivals, that's irrelevant. It's an opportunity for all Australians to have to go, how come I'm not at school today? How How come the shops are closed? Why aren't I working today? What, what's it for? I mean, <laughs> a nationally sanctioned excuse. <sighs> That's just worth giving God thanks for. Let's say thank you God, thank you God, thank you God. <laughs> Yay, seriously. A nationally sanctioned opportunity to share the gospel. Wow, wow. And so if you get a bit cynical about Easter, just stop it. (laughs) And celebrate that we live in a country where we have the freedom to share that good news. Hallelujah. Wonderful, wonderful. Jesus, I know that we remember this every day. In fact, every time we eat, we remember, even as he instructed us to do. But we have the opportunity to get the attention of the nation today, hallelujah. And you'll see it in the papers, you'll see it, it will be published, the, the, what the different churches were preaching on Good Friday and what their message, Good Friday messages were. Hey, this is a good thing. This is a good thing, that we as a nation are celebrating Jesus. So we're believing Australia for Jesus, amen, hallelujah. So thank you God. I've got a few things that I want to share with you tonight. Um, but I wanted to just start with a thought that I read in the book of Luke today. I'm still in the book of Luke. I've been in the book of Luke since December. I, I had a little sneaky taste of Colossians the other day. But I've been um, really enjoying, it. Just it's too rich to get through quickly. It's just so much in it. But I was looking at this today in Luke chapter 20. You might think this is a very unusual passage for Easter, but I I wanted to begin with this because it fascinates me. And it's often fascinated me in that um, people have, I used to wonder, "What's, what's this all about? In verse 27 of Luke 20, Some Sadducees come and they're trying to trick Jesus. They're trying to prove the Sadducees are sad, you see, because they don't believe in the resurrection. They're keeping all the laws and yet they believe that when you die, that's it. It's like, wow, sad, you see. Sad. That's sad. Very sad. Like, really sad. Not even an eternal reward for doing all this stuff. So, they're trying to trick Jesus into admitting it's impossible technically for there to be a resurrection. So, they think they've got the perfect thing to trick him and to, and to set him up. So, they come and they, so it says here, some of the Sadducees who deny that there is any resurrection came to him and asked him, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies having a wife but no children, then this man should take the wife and raise up children for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first took a wife and died childless. The second took her as a wife and he died childless. And then the third took her and in like manner, all seven died and left no children. Miserable story. Last of all, a woman died also. Therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife shall she be? For the seven had her as a wife. Jesus answered them, the sons of this age marry and are given in marriage. But those who are counted worthy to attain that age and the resurrection from the dead, neither marry nor are given in marriage. For they cannot die anymore, for they are equal to the angels and are the sons of God, being sons of the resurrection. Now at the bush, even Moses pointed out that the dead are raised when he called the Lord the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. For he is not the God of the dead, but of the living. For to him, all live. Some of the scribes said, teacher, you have spoken well. After that, they dared not ask him any question at all. I used to read that as a young woman and think, that's a bit sad. Because marriage and romance, you know, it's a happy thing. It's a nice thing. I'd like to still be married in the resurrection. God, like, it's a bit sad. You're not gonna, nobody's gonna be married. Like, it's like happy and lovely. Why, and heaven is supposed to be paradise. And like, one of the joys of humanity is to love and to be loved and to experience the joys of, of being married, of having someone love you. That's a bit sad, God. Anybody ever thought that thought? Just few of the romantics in the house have had this subtle thought, occasionally. I love your honesty and greatly, deeply appreciate it. But you know what? This is actually really exciting. Because heaven and the resurrection is not some religious state of nirvana. It's actually a glorious place that will be more joyful, more exhilarating, more wonderful than the highest peak of human joy could possibly be it's the reason there's no marrying and being given in marriage is because we are all coming as the bride to the marriage supper of the Lamb and are going to experience love on a level that is beyond our human capacity to currently understand. A love that will satisfy us more deeply, will exhilarate our hearts, consume us with delight more wonderfully than any human relationship ever could. We just did a wedding the other week. It was beautiful. They're so in love. They can't keep their eyes off each other. But you know what? That is just a a faint shadow of how God feels about us and the love that he has for us. And the great news is that when you receive the gift of salvation, you are invited into a relationship that will satisfy you way beyond what any human can ever give you, right here, right now. It's a love that makes the idea of wanting to sin seem ridiculous. Because His love constraineth us. It, it so impacts us that when we keep our eyes on Him and we continue to receive His wonderful love, we, we have no desire for anything other than Him. He captures our, our heart. Hallelujah. And he wants us to experience it. I was sharing the other week about Thanksgiving and the power of what it looks like to engage in Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is something you might have in your mind as an obligatory thing that we should do. It's, you know, come on, say thank you. It's what we teach our kids, isn't it? Say thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Because they deserve a thank you. We sometimes have that attitude toward God. But in fact, thanksgiving is an invitation for us to experience and taste the heavenly joy that God wants to give us. It works like this. We start to think about his goodness, his kindness, something that he's done his wonderful love for us, his great joy, the fact that we have been redeemed and saved, that I don't have to pay for my sin. It can be anything that you begin to give thanks for, but you know, often what we do is we don't allow thanksgiving to crack through the outer layers of our emotions. You know, I've had some brilliant news this week. It ke- every week, I keep seeming to getting more wonderful news. God just keeps doing good, kind things. But it's easy sometimes when you get good news to go, wow, that's awesome, but not actually let yourself emotionally really go there because, you know, whoa, we gotta just keep it together. Have you ever had good news that you haven't really let sink in and experience emotion of? Anybody? Yeah, okay, a few of you understand. It's like, wow, that's great. Okay, that's great. But it's like, you know, if I really just open my heart and let that emotion of that um, great kindness, that that what the Lord has done touch my heart, it's going to, I'm going to become a little, uh, you know, out of order. That's like, you know, you've got to keep it together. But when we start to really learn what it looks like to take time to let thanksgiving unlock us, it will provoke within us a worship that will cause a well within us to spring up And as it does, that will is unlocked in our hearts and we engage with the love of Christ and we become overwhelmed with his love that passes knowledge and we learn what it looks like to swim in the ocean of his love, in his presence where there is fullness of joy, hallelujah. God wants us to access this love that he is referring to when he says you're not gonna be married in heaven. He wants us to be able to access that today to live in it so that we can live in a place of strength, of acceptance, of being rooted and grounded, meaning I can't be moved because someone has already won my heart. Hallelujah. How wonderful, wonderful, wonderful Savior. But you know, as I was thinking about this, I believe the Holy Spirit is wanting his people to understand and to let themselves have a realisation of God's kindness toward us, go deeper than just where we have carried it. We think today about the sacrifice of Christ. And it's beautiful. There's lots of traditions associated with Good Friday. I must admit I ate one and a half hot cross buns today. (laughs) <laughs> and I would have eaten two if Jessica didn't eat the other half. <laughs> and traditions are not a bad thing. I, I think they're not a bad thing, so long as they don't become the thing. But in it all, we've got, we have an opportunity, an invitation to go through a door that will completely bring you into a place of absolute freedom, absolute joy, absolute delight. You know, you have been set free, but God wants you to experience that emotionally, spiritually, in every way. He wants you fully experiencing and enjoying the freedom that He's given you. And if we would take time, as we take communion tonight together, if we would take time to let the impact of what has actually happened touch our hearts beyond just a cerebral level and go down deep and then deeper still until we actually provoked with an emotional response, dare I say it, emotions aren't a bad thing. They're just not the boss, God's the boss. But you know, when God's the boss and you surrender yourself to Him and you bring your emotions in line with the truth and with who He is, emotions are part of who God created you to be. And He wants you to allow that emotion to provoke within you an emotional response called, oh love, I love you God. And then to, to dare to let it even go a little bit deeper as you think about it and begin to really give thanks. You know, you think about the story of the cross and what actually happened. That Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane was praying, God, is there any other way? Not, I believe not because he was afraid of being the suffering he would experience, but because he knew that there would have to come a time the next day where he would become sin and be separated from God. And yet for the joy set before him, he did it. It all began, of course, back in the garden with Adam and Eve created in the image of God. There he was, Adam was created in the image of God, and then God reached into Adam, said, It's not good for man to be alone. So he reached into Adam and he pulled the feminine out of Adam and said, This is Eve, so that together they would be an image of, uh, there would be a representation of the image of God. But then in the garden, they were tempted and they were told that. God had told them, there's two trees. This is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. This is the tree of life. Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You'll die. But the enemy came, he said, hey, you should just eat this. It looks good, you know, like, you won't die. And so they did, they ate. Because he was telling them, if you eat this, you'll be like God. And they took it and they ate it. And you know, it wasn't called the tree of death. It was called the tree of knowledge of good and evil. It was a representation, a picture of the law. And they were told, they were sold a lie that, hey, you can do something to become like God. So they did something in the hope of becoming like God, not realizing that they already were like God. They already were in His image. They were were tricked. And deceived into forgetting their true identity. And then from then on, all of humanity was forever trying through their works, through the, the law, through the knowledge of good and evil, trying to measure up to God and always realizing that they could ever could. That no matter how hard they tried, they could never become perfect. And without holiness, perfection, they couldn't be joined to the one who was perfect because God could not be unequally yoked. And then so Jesus came. And he was born of a virgin, incorruptible, came into the world as a man, was tempted in all the ways that we were, yet was without sin, And he came with a purpose, and that was to take on the judgment of every person, to take on the punishment so that we could have a new start, that we would no longer be bound by sin, bound by fear, no longer be separated from God. Instead of being distant from God, Jesus made a way that the veil was torn and now we can have fellowship with God when we receive the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. By faith, we take hold of the goodness of God and we say, thank you, Jesus. You came and you became sin for me. On the cross, he took it in. Our sin, our shame, our guilt, he took it and he became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. His side was pierced, blood poured out, and out of his side, the last Adam, he's called, a new bride was brought forth, one who was bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh, spiritually of him, of incorruptible nature, the bride of Christ. And all who would believe on him, who would say, yes, I receive your gift of mercy, your gift of salvation, not only have their sin covered, but they have it completely removed and they're given a brand new heart. They are made perfect, holy, compatible with God and able to be joined to him as his body. Wow, and if you sin again, he doesn't go right, you're back to square one. He says, I paid for it before you ever did it. And then we just acknowledge it to him. We say, that was wrong. I'm sorry, God. Thank you, Father, that you already paid for that. I receive forgiveness from you by faith. I believe. And I'm going to walk today as a just who lives by faith. By faith, I receive the mercy of God. Hallelujah. As I confess my sin, he's faithful and just to forgive me and cleanse me from all All unrighteousness, making me completely clean. And even if my heart condemns me, he's greater than my heart. Hallelujah. This wonderful truth, this love is beyond what my heart is able to keep up with. And it is this kindness that God wants to reveal to us. Hallelujah. The scripture tells us that he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and by his stripes, we were healed, <laughs> hooray, yay. That is the truth of the atonement, the glorious good news of the gospel. In fact, this is Jewish matzah bread, um, traditionally used at Passover. If you can see it, you can see that it's pierced with a whole lot of holes. And there's stripes on it. This is the sort of bread that Jesus would have eaten with the disciples on the night before he was betrayed, on the night that he was betrayed. And he broke the bread. And he said, this is my body, broken for you eat, do this in remembrance of me. Every time you eat it, he wanted you to remember that by his stripes you were healed. He, just as the bread was pierced, he was pierced. And in his, the piercing of his side, a new bride was brought forth. He wanted us to remember every time we eat that we were redeemed by his sacrifice, hallelujah. Wonderful Jesus. He was wounded for our transgressions. Transgressions in the Hebrew simply means sin. Meaning if, you were, if you've ever sinned, and all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, Jesus took your punishment, so you don't have to punish yourself. He was bruised for our iniquities. Iniquities in the Hebrew is a different word to transgressions. Iniquities means crookedness. He was bruised in the Hebrew, that's crushed, that word there. He was crushed for our crookedness. He was beaten. He was broken for our crooked nature so that we could get a new nature. Hallelujah. He wanted us to remember that his sacrifice not only took our sin, but it, it crushed our old nature With him, we were crucified with him and now we can be born again as brand new creations without any crookedness on the inside. So that means any thoughts you have about yourself, if you have surrendered your life to Christ, that doesn't line up with his perfect, beautiful, clean, holy nature, is a thought that's exalting itself against the knowledge of Christ. And the Bible says you're supposed to take those thoughts captive. Captive and cast them down and replace them with truth. So if you're thinking about yourself, oh, I'm not a very good Christian. That doesn't even line up with Christian doctrine. If you're a Christian, you are forgiven and you've become the righteousness of God in Christ. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. We are the just who live by faith. We must believe that he has made us clean that he has made us pure and has given us a new heart, a new nature, hallelujah. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. Anytime the enemy is harassing you and stealing your peace, you need to wave the bread and the the blood in front of him and say, hey, he was punished so I could live eternally in peace, hallelujah. I don't have to tolerate you demons walking through my bedroom. Get away from me in the name of Jesus. He was chastised for my peace. Hallelujah. We cast all our cares on him because he cares for us. We bring everything to him. We don't be anxious about anything, but we talk to him about with everything in prayer, with thanksgiving and the peace of God will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It's the gift of of salvation and by his stripes we were healed I believe in miracles because I believe in Jesus who is the same yesterday today and forever he wasn't some Rotary Club leader God bless the Rotary Club But he didn't come that we could have a nice little church service. He came that we would become as he is in the earth and that we would do greater works than he did. And you know what is recorded of all the things that Jesus did more than anything else, the recordings of what his works were, were healings. In fact, there were so many that they couldn't record them all. I'm gonna ask Pastor Daniel just to come and share for a few minutes just on what that looks like, the message of healing. If you would come, Daniel. He did a 40 days of healing. And after that, we're going to take communion together and we're gonna pray and release the healing power of Jesus. Amen, wonderful God.
1: Praise God. That scripture that uh, Catherine was just reading, Pastor Catherine was just reading, is the one that uh, just really rocked my boat. It's the one that really changed me when I was doing the 40 days of healing. I did a lot of scriptures, and every day for 40 days I taught on healing. But this one scripture, Isaiah 53, is the one that so challenged me that I had to make a decision. Do I believe in healing? Absolutely. Or do I believe in maybe healing? This is the scripture that did it for me. It's called, It's uh, the, the, the scripture is about the atonement, the atonement of God and, and, and what Jesus did on the cross. And, the, and so um, I'll read it to you. It says this, Pastor Catherine's already uh, quoted it for us. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. And so the, we see that in the atonement, what was finished on the cross, what was done on the cross, has two aspects to it. Firstly is there is the aspect of the healing from sin, healing from iniquity. That's the first thing that we can see from the scripture. But there's also this thing: by his wounds we were healed. So we can see that in the atonement, the finished work of the cross, what Jesus did on the cross, not only did he heal us from our sin, but he also healed us from our, our sicknesses. He, by his wounds, we are healed. Now, I did this survey as part of this uh, 40 days of healing thing, and I, I put it out there like a Christian survey. Who believes that it's, that it's God's will that nobody be sick? Who actually believes that? Well, well, let's get a show of hands here. We've got got a few. Well, This is a good church to be in. (laughs) But from that survey, this is what I received back, uh, that about 50% of Christians believe that God agrees with sickness. I couldn't believe it. I thought, how can you get that? It says so clearly in Isaiah 53, it says so clearly that he was you know, by his stripes were he healed. How can you possibly interpret into that, that, you know, um, well, he doesn't heal all the time. How, how can you get that confusion? And, and so that caused me to, to research it out. And I, I talked with a lot of people and I did a lot of research. And what, what people have done is they've taken this other scripture in 1 Peter 2.24 and, and they said that, well, when it's talking about, you know, him healing our body, that's a spiritual thing. It's not really talking about physical healing. And that's, that's how they argue that scripture away. And so I had to look at that and just you know examine that out. The scripture 1 Peter 2.24 says this, uh, who, um, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we having died to sins might live for righteousness, praise God, by whose stripes you were healed. And in the context of 1 Peter, it's talking about you know, being healed from our sin. And so, I had a, it never occurred to me, but I had to face this question Is the finished work of the cross just about spiritual healing? Is it just about healing from our sin? Or is it about physical healing? Because now I was on, I had to draw a line in the sand. I could no longer say, you know, it's just, if, if I said it's just about spiritual healing, then I didn't have to believe that everybody needs to be healed. But if I made this, statement now I believe that that scripture what Jesus accomplished on the cross not only saved us from our sin but also opened up the door for healing for us then I had to make the statement that Jesus doesn't want people to be sick that Jesus doesn't want people to be unwell I had to believe 100% not 99 not 99.5 not 99.9 100% that Jesus wants people to be healed and so I had to really go through this dilemma and, and work it through and so the saving scripture for me was found in 817 Matthew 817 And Jesus was talking and he says that uh, Jesus healed the sick so that the words of Isaiah might be fulfilled. And then he quotes... Isaiah 53 verse 4 in that in that scripture of Matthew, it says, "Surely he took upon our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted." So he uses that scripture, the same scripture in Isaiah 53, talking about healing, and he, he directly attributes that scripture to Isaiah 50, uh, to uh, um, to Matthew 8:17, where he says. I heal because I want to fulfill the words that were prophesied by the, uh, the prophet Isaiah in uh, you know, Isaiah 53 verse four, that by his stripes we are healed. And so I come to this conclusion that the beautiful message of the atonement, that what Jesus did on the cross, is not only did he heal us from our sin, but he has healed us, he's provided the door, he's healed us from our sicknesses as well. <laughs> Hallelujah, amen. It's a line in the sand. And so I look at people like Smith Wigglesworth and John G. Lake and I, I look at them and I say, what, what gave them the boldness? What gave them the faith? What gave them the, the, the absolute conviction that they must you know, believe for healing, that they, they will not put up with it? What, what gave them that? And I believe is they had a good understanding, a real understanding of what it, Jesus did on the cross. He healed our sin and he healed our bodies, amen? And so this is what, uh, you know, um, Smith Wigglesworth says. He says uh, that um, sickness, this is one of his statements, sickness is the enemy of God. I I need that boldness, amen? And so I just want to bring an encouragement to the church. Like, I've heard all the things, I've heard all the arguments, I've gone through them, I've debunked them, I've researched them. I've heard the things that, you know, you know... um, you know, miracles are no longer for today because they were just there to, you know, show that Jesus was God or, you know, miracles are no longer for today because, you know, um, it's stopping. And I've heard all the arguments. But when you come down to the simplicity of the gospel and when you have to make a decision and I'm calling the church forward and I'm saying, rise in faith. Don't just settle for God, you know, save me from my sin. Don't spiritualize and just make it all just, you know, just uh, uh, like a spiritual journey. Understand that God came to save us body, soul, and spirit. He came to save every part of our body and he's as interested in your healing as He is interested in your salvation. It also occurred to me that the same faith that I need to receive my salvation, healing from sin, is the same faith that I need to receive my healing in my physical body. It's as simple as that. I don't stress and strive when I'm looking for salvation from sin, uh, You know, and uh, I've received Christ, hallelujah. I don't go, oh, I have to really try very hard to receive this salvation. Oh, I have to strive and stress. I didn't do that. I just simply believe, God, you came to give me freedom from sin. I believe it, I receive it, amen. As simple as that is, God, you also came to heal me from my diseases. I receive it, thank you, I believe it, amen. Church, we're not a church that's gonna go halfway with the gospel. We're gonna preach the full gospel. And that means we have to make a decision, are we all in or are we partially in? Isaiah 53, which has been quoted by Pastor Catherine. This day, Easter, Friday, which declares what Jesus did on the cross. He died for what? This is the major declaration. So that you may be healed from your sin and you may be healed from your diseases. Can you feel faith arising in your heart? Do you have a heart to believe for healing in your body? If there's any sick amongst us, can we stand on the scripture? I often quote the scripture when I'm praying for people. I say, according to Isaiah 53, verse four, you shall be healed. Can you feel faith arising? Amen. Let's just believe that God's going to heal some people tonight. Let's believe for the miraculous. Let's not settle just for people to be healed from sin, but let's believe that God's going to heal people miraculously from their diseases. That is not the will of God, that sickness is, not, is the enemy of God. He has come to liberate us not only from our sin, but to liberate, liberate us from our sicknesses. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah.
0: Hallelujah. Yay, Jesus. Woohoo. Well, I am. Um, I'm going to ask the ushers if you can get ready. We're going to hand out communion. But and then and we're going to pray for people. Um, but before we do that, I want to ask you tonight. That love that I was talking about is real, and it's more wonderful than you could ever have imagined. It's so glorious that it's beyond what we have the capacity to humanly comprehend, yet God wants us to taste it, experience it, and live in the joy of it. He did all of this, everything he did, so that you and he could be together forever in heaven, for eternity, that you could have relationship. If you've ever seen someone who's in love, They just find excuses to wanna be with the other person, right? They just wanna spend time with them. Jesus wants to spend eternity with you. He wants to be with you all the time. He He wants you to experience beyond what a marriage could be. He wants you to experience a love that will satisfy you like nothing else ever could. He wants you to have a relationship with him. And the only way humans can be in relationship with a perfect, pure, holy God is to be made pure. And we can't, we can't through our efforts, through doing anything, be made pure. So we have to humble ourselves and receive by faith the grace of our Lord Jesus. We have to receive by faith his goodness and his kindness If you're here today and you know in your heart, you're not walking with God, you're not in relationship with God. The Bible tells us that if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father who is in heaven. God makes a way for us to receive salvation, but we have to come to him and say, Lord, I want that. I want that salvation. I want to receive it. I need your forgiveness. We need to acknowledge that we need the forgiveness of Christ. We need to acknowledge that we need his mercy. You see, it's enough. You could say, Oh, yes, well, I believe in God. I believe that he exists. The book of James tells us that even the devil believes in God. But that does not make him in relationship with God. Does not mean that he's got an eternity with him. A lot of people think, yeah, I believe in, I believe in God. And he, and at Easter time we'll remember yeah their childhood um their, their childhood upbringing that yes okay i identify as christian i i believe in god i yeah i believe the story but you know just believing that it happened do you think the devil believes that it happened is not that is not what is needed to become a new creation what's required is for us to say lord I want you to be my saviour. I believe that Jesus is the son of God and I bring my sin. I bring my shame. I bring my old life. And I give it to you. You see, it's in the surrender of our life that we receive new life. Light can have no fellowship with darkness. So we can't have a little bit of God and a little bit of old life, God wants us to surrender our lives to him, to lay them down and receive his new life. And then he gives us power to live differently. He comes to take away our crookedness, but we have to exchange our crookedness to get his purity. It requires humility that says, I actually, I need to acknowledge that I need a savior and He goes after us. His goodness and His kindness is designed to bring us to repentance. When you look up at the stars and you see them, it's God saying, hey, think about the fact that there's a Creator and I love you. All of creation is trying to preach the truth to you that God loves you, He's in love with you, He wants to be with you. Will you accept the Saviour?
1: You can email these praise reports to info at glorycitychurch.com.au. God bless.